My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. My guest this week is the pastor at King's Cross Church in Moscow, Idaho, and the author of No Mere Mortals, Marriage for People Who Will Live Forever. Please welcome back to the podcast, Pastor Toby Sumter. You are the Renaissance. I like to read books. Reading books is how I relax. Reading is the gift I give myself after long days of doing. Don't ask me why my mind works that way. It just does. I've learned to go with it. And no subject of reading has more occupied my time lately than biblical marriage and family. Because I didn't grow up in one. Far from it. Nor did anyone in my extended family. When I went to college and started getting into long conversations late at night with my peers, we discovered that more than 50% of us came from broken homes. And by the end of my freshman year, this was true for me too. And that was in the late 90s. Then I lived in the Bay Area. And let's just say that biblical marriage is not how they do things around there. I knew a woman who had her first child at around age 35 and went back to work within weeks, not because she had to for the money. She worked for a nonprofit and her husband was well paid. She went back to work because she wanted to and surrendered her first son and then her second to being raised by a nanny. I also know married couples in the Bay Area who, after 20 years, have remained childless. They own dogs instead. Swingers parties were a more appealing outlet for some of them when they were younger, too. Yes, it's just as bad there as you've heard. Look around elsewhere in culture, and what do you see? Romantic comedies featuring single mothers or sometimes single fathers, but few intact families. The last intact family in a movie was probably It's a Wonderful Life. Even great hero stories like Star Wars, Harry Potter, and Batman feature orphans. This is the world I come from, the world God delivered me out of. Going from death to life is real for me as I know it is for many of you. And in the Bible, God paints a picture of his design for men, women, and families. The story of the cosmos is the story of a wedding, a groom being united to his bride with eternal blessings and fruitfulness as the result. And yet, if I want to see biblical marriage in this world, I have to read about it, a bit like an extinct animal or a lost civilization. And so I do. One of the aspects of being a podcast host is that I have to compress my personality into a narrow range to reach out and speak to you, trying to squeeze myself through the pipes of the internet, let's say. Some things naturally get left out. But if I can, I'd like to shift gears for a moment and let you hear a bit more about who I am related to all of this. For those of us who are dating or attempting to court right now, we know how bad it is. Everyone knows how bad it is. Even in churches, women rightfully complain of Christian men who are flakes and push hard enough on many Christian women, and you'll find an unbroken streak of feminist independence. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so naturally we submit to God that this is his will for us, that all things will work together for the good to conform us to the image of his Son. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And yet, those of us who are attempting to date for marriage right now know that the grief of singleness is real. The disappointment of heartbreak is real. Something so simple for centuries has become near impossible. Our grandparents walked down the street and bumped into the husband or wife they'd be with for decades. 
My grandparents on my dad's side were married for more than 75 years. They lived into their late 90s together. But with all the dating apps in the world, little if anything seems to be happening. Men are avoiding stepping up, yes, and women are avoiding settling down. It's obvious. But there are so many good men and women out there, people say. Okay, find me one in my area code. Because long-distance relationships via some combination of air travel and Zoom seems to be the best suggestion that many older people have. Imagine a couple spending thousands of dollars just to get to know each other in person. That's money that can't and won't be spent on a wedding, a honeymoon, or starting a life together. It is, therefore, a flawed solution at best. So, yes, while rejoicing in all circumstances, it's easy for despair to be lurking right outside the door. There's a black pill pharmacist, and he delivers at all hours, especially late at night, alone, in a bed with one side that's been empty for far too long. So the question naturally comes, why? Why try? Abandoned by our parents, our culture, our friends, and yes, in many cases, pastors, why continue to try? Would anyone notice if I slipped quietly out the back door? Yes, someone would. God would. Because he has better promises for us than that. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Pastor Toby Sumter, and he's the author of the book, No Mere Mortals, Marriage for People Who Will Live Forever. He's the co-host of Cross Politic, the pastor of King's Cross Church in Moscow, Idaho, provider of the incredible biblical marriage sermon series on Canon Plus and YouTube, plus the guest of my most white pill podcast ever. This one. This is episode 165 of this show, and I struggle to think of a single interview that has brought more hope to my heart than this. The words and wisdom that Pastor Toby share remind me that the picture of true biblical marriage is not an extinct species or a lost civilization. It doesn't just live on the page, but in people's lives. It's being talked about from the pulpit, not in hushed tones, but in clear speech that Christians can hear. But better than that, biblical marriage is real. It can be seen and celebrated and modeled. Even if it's almost nowhere around me, there's a light shining on a hill that I can look up at and see. And you can too, if you're brave enough to look. So while American society circles the drain, the promise will have to be enough. God's glorious vision must be enough, even if we don't get to share in it. At least, not yet. Personally, for now, it'll do. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 84, verse 10. Hallelujah. In our conversation, Pastor Toby and I discussed the inspiration of his biblical marriage series, Submission in the Lord, Marriage as a Contract versus a Covenant, Why God Hates Divorce, What She Needs and Not What She Wants, The Lies of Feminism, The Obedient Sacrifice, and finally, the joy of the Puritans. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. If this is your first time here, please subscribe to the show for new interviews every week. If you've listened before, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify and a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, share this episode or another one of your favorites with a friend, maybe a single friend who needs to hear it. We're going to take a break from ads this week as an act of gratitude for our guest's generosity of spirit which I value beyond measure. 
and please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, a teacher, preacher, author, husband, father, and pastor, Toby Sumter. Pastor Toby, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Will. Always a pleasure to chat with you. As we were, as I was saying just before we got started, I've been so incredibly inspired by some of the work you've been doing lately, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about it with you. Well, thanks. It's it's great to be back with you. Awesome. So uh, where I want to start is I want to start by talking about your uh, biblical marriage series. I, un- I encountered that series of sermons. I think it's seven or eight sermons on YouTube and also on Canon, and I was listening to them and. Uh, they were now the Reformed Basics series that you did with Pastor Doug was hugely formative for me, you know, in my early walk, um, you know, into the Reformed faith. And then I listened to the Biblical Marriage series. I'm like, I, I think this, I think it's been unseated. So I want to start working through some of the material in there if we can. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so let's let's start with the overall uh, pattern of the series. You start talking very, uh, very clearly about some of the guidelines for biblical marriage for both men and women in this very clear and direct way that I'm not sure I've heard any place else. So was that sort of the inspiration? You did you find people were coming to you and saying, help us with this, or was it just it was just time to talk about? Yeah. Um I've I've taught on marriage quite a bit. And so um uh, maybe the very, very specific things you have in mind, you'll have to jog my memory. Sure. Um but but yes, the short answer is is um the two things that have helped me develop what I teach on and preach on regularly with regard to marriage are um, the numerous uh, premarital counseling sessions I've done. Um, and so I, we're in a college town here in Moscow, Idaho. Um, uh, there's a lot of wet weddings happening here. Right. Praise <laughs> and, God. And yes, it's it's an enormous gift. And uh, and so early on, as I was sometimes having four or five, six, I don't know, maybe seven or eight weddings in a summer, hmm. um, I realized as I was kind of meeting with couples, I had to figure out my curriculum because it was really easy to forget where I was and mm-hmm. what I had covered. And so that was one thing. So I I kind of boiled that down to um, three sessions that I do with couples. And, and that was one area um, of just really drilling down and practical. And that's me discussing with the couples and so on. And, and then, and then the other area though has been um, I, I've been a pastor here uh, in, in Moscow. And, and then I was a pastor for a couple of years before that, um, since, uh, 2000, I guess, six. So, um, you know, coming up on 18 years, uh, of, of pastoring. And over those years, I've, uh, I've met with a lot of couples who are working through things. And so, yeah, that's supplied me with a real, um, uh, 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 a plethora of questions that I know people are regularly asking and that I want to be useful um, in answering. And then of course the last is I've, I've been married uh, for, (laughs) uh, for 24 years this, uh, this year. And, uh, um, and so, and, uh, and my, my gracious wife has taught me a ton and we've uh, worked through things as well. And then, um, so, but those would be some of the big, uh, uh, places where I, the Lord's taught me a lot. Yeah. I remember you saying, um, in the start of the series, something about, uh, I think when you were, you were going to new St. Andrews and you were talking with your wife and, and she was reading Doug Wilson. It's like, when he go ahead and tell that story, you'll probably tell it better than me. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a classic in our house. We, 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 we both tell it, uh, routinely. Um, but yeah, I think I was, uh, I mean, I grew up in a, a reformed, 
um, family, actually. Mm. And, and my parents definitely modeled uh, reformed marriage uh, for me. So I'd seen it. Um, but I would just say, at least, and, and you know, some of this is, you know, as a kid growing up, maybe my parents taught me, maybe my pastors taught me, and it just went over my head and I just, I missed it. But when I got out to Moscow, um, Pastor Doug's teaching in particular, some of his sermons and then some of his books on marriage and family just hit me square between the eyes. Yeah. And like, there it is in the text. <laughs> there there mm -hmm. it is, it's right there. And and so I, I started sending, uh, I, I think uh, I think I think sent my, my uh, I don't know if she was my fiance yet or my girlfriend, but um, my to-be wife, I sent her, I think, Reforming Marriage by Pastor Doug and mm -hmm. maybe a sermon of his on marriage. And yeah, she, I remember having a conversation where she said something like, um, now when it says submit, it, it, like it doesn't really mean that, does it? And, um, <laughs> and you know, and I, there I am, you know, this, you know, I don't know, uh, probably 18 years old, you know, uh, uh, well, uh, and I, I think I, I sort of hemmed and hawed my way through a, a, a semi-affirmative answer. It, it kind of sort of does mean that, but I, um, <laughs> you know, anyways, we've, we've laughed about it many times since. So, um, it's, it's a great story and, uh, because I can, I can feel that because in the work that I do working with men and women and evangelizing as well, when men and women both encounter that teaching, it's like, Oh, Whoa. Like, does it really mean that? Like, yeah, it, it really means that. And I, and I remember in one of the earlier series, I think it was uh, maybe the second, third or fourth, second or fourth, something like that. You talk about the depth of what submission means um, to his preferences where he wants to live. You mentioned an elk head on the wall. So let's, let's talk about that because it was the clarity that yeah. you describe this with. I also have your book, No Mere Mortals here, which I've been working through. This is excellent. It's a great companion of the series and I see a lot of the same ideas. So let's talk about what that really means in kind of clear language. Yeah. One one thing, just big picture, and then I'll, I'll answer that um, specifically, mm -hmm. uh, Will, is, is just, first of all, I think if you stop, like initially when we hear that word and it, within marriage, everybody can have a little bit of a cringe or a, yeah. wait, wait a sec. But I actually think if you stop and you think for a moment, you, we actually know society functions without authority. Yeah. All societies function with authority. And so we actually have no problem or, 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 or a lot, fewer problems um, when um, a boss, for example, um, says you need to be at work at 7 a.m. and you, know, you need to work until 5 p.m. and here's the job you have to do. What you are doing in that moment is you are submitting to your boss. Uh, if you, if you do it well, um, and, and cheerfully and, and, you know, I mean, I know there's caricatures of Gen Z and all the rest of it, but you know, most people don't say, Hey, now listen here, bud, I have my rights and I am, you know, I am a human being and I'm equal to you. No, everybody understands that. Yes. And before the law, you are equal and before God, you're equal. But in this role as an employee, if you don't do this job, then the product or the service won't happen and this business will fail. Mm -hmm. And so it's dependent upon you to cheerfully submit and do your job. And, and that has not, it's not demeaning in the slightest. Uh, you have freely chosen to serve this employer with your energy and time and gifts and abilities. And when you do that, it's fulfilling and it's a gift both directions. Um, so, you know, work is a, is a case in point where people generally understand authority and submission. 
Um, I think the same thing is generally true uh, in, in, in civil government uh, realm. I mean, I, I know maybe that's starting to break down a little bit more, but mm. if a police officer pulls you over, um, you know, you, you generally think, well, I must have been speeding or I, you know, I missed, I missed a red light or, you know, you, you generally kind of assume they must have a good reason. Um, and if, you know, if you're summoned to appear before court for something, um, you know, you, you, you don't usually go in or, or tell the cop that pulled you over, look here, I'm a human being and I have my rights. And, you know, you're, you're, you know, as though you're automatically being abused just because someone has a badge. Um, so, you know, I think that's helpful, first of all, just yeah. to remind people, like, you're actually living in a world that has authority all the time. Everyone is under authority. Um, and we're all under authority on, on, in different respects and different realms. I'm, I'm under authority in, in, um, civilly with regard to the government of the city and the state and the nation I live, uh, under, um, I'm under authority in my church. I'm a pastor, but I am actually in submission to my elders who I answer to. Um, and, and so, um, when we talk about a wife's submission to her husband, um, we really ought to keep all those things in mind that we're all under authority in different respects. Now, yeah. That authority can be misused. That authority can be abused. Um, and that's why um, all through Scripture, particularly the New Testament, the instructions to submit to lawful authority almost always is said with the qualifier in the Lord mm -hmm. or as to Christ. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, servants, uh, obey your masters. Um uh, not merely as men pleasers, but um, uh, as seeking to serve Christ. Um, uh, submit yourself, you know, uh, to every ordinance of man um, as uh, to the Lord. First uh, Peter two, Romans thirteen, and so when you get to Ephesians five, for example, and it says, "Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord." You have the same um, qualifier, the same um, picture. Uh, all earthly authority comes from Jesus Christ. And, and so, um, what I tell wives though, and in particular is, um, that means one, one way you can think about this is picture Jesus standing behind your husband. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and I, and I always talk about three, basically three different areas where, um, decisions have to be made, um, three different categories. One of them is, um, the category that is just echoing what God already says in the Bible. It's just straight obedience to Christ. So your husband says, hey, um, we're going to go to church regularly. We're going to read the Bible regularly. Uh, we're going to pray together. Uh, we're going um, to tithe and give uh, to the work of the church. We're going to confess our sins and forgive one another. He's just echoing the Bible. And you see Jesus standing behind your husband, and Jesus is nodding vigorously. And so you cheerfully, gladly obey you gladly submit. And in a healthy, godly marriage, um, the wife is saying, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do because I've been reading the Bible too. Um, yep. the, the, the second category uh, where uh, submission and obedience is, is necessary would be in areas of Christian freedom. So this is an area where, and this is where the elk head comes in, <laughs> um, uh, is... Um, threw that out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like that example. It's a good one. Um, mm. Uh, but, but you, um, so I always, again, pause for a second. Um, uh, the Bible does not teach arranged marriages. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible, um, as as uh, even though as things deteriorate, people some some I'm sure some Christian group somewhere is going to think that's a good idea, and I don't think it's a good idea. But right. um, but even in the like most patriarchal of times, as in the times of the patriarchs in Genesis, <laughs> um, when when Abraham's servant went to go find a wife for Isaac, Abraham's son, and he goes and, and to these distant relatives and finds uh, Rebecca, um, even there in that sort of uber patriarchal era, um, the men of the house ask Rebecca, will you go with this man and marry his master's servant? And Rebecca says, I will. And, and, and the reason for underlining that is we believe that Christian women do, are not required by God to just submit to men in general. Mm-hmm. We, we believe that a Christian woman may, if she so chooses with her own freedom, she may choose uh, to, to give herself to one man and submit to him as her husband for the rest of her life. Um, but but nobody, you know, that's that's why the the vows are actually so significant, and the vows are to the man and to the woman, yeah. um, and and so um, and that's important. And even in Ephesians five, it says, "Wives submit to your own husband." It doesn't say uh, to all the men everywhere. Um, it, it says to your own husband as to the Lord. Um, but I would say this ties into the second category of submission because. Um, I always tell the the you know the couples ahead you know as they're preparing for marriage like um, you when you marry this man you are agreeing to follow him, and it, this is this is an asymmetrical thing. Um, the, the God has designed the family to work such that there is a leader, there is a head, and if you don't want to follow this guy, don't marry him. Um, and, and again, I would use sort of this area of Christian freedom. There's all kinds of things in our life that is where we are just free in Christ. Um, that's like, what kind of food do you like? Um, you know, what colors do you like? Uh, what style of house do you like? What kind of clothing do you like? What kind of car do you like? Um, where do you want to live? Do you want to live in the mountains? Do you want to live at the beach? Do you want to live in a big city? Do you want to live in a, you know, rural, um, wilderness, um, you know, there's obviously principles of wisdom that go into this uh, in terms of, you know, your giftings. Um, is there a church community there? Um, are you going to be thriving? You know, all those things matter. But the the Bible is is gloriously free. It, it, God is gloriously free with his people. And, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, Martin Luther famously, uh, I think it was Martin Luther, uh, maybe it was Augustine, one of those guys. Mm. Um, <laughs> different, completely different people. Um, <laughs> what What? Smart one of them, one of them said, "Love God and do what you want." Mm-hmm. And and there's a real important principle there. But I would say, love God and do what you want. And then to a woman who's considering marrying a man, like so, recognize you're signing up to follow that man yeah. as he loves God and does what he wants. And and so that's where I, I get to the point where I'd say that includes things like you know if your husband is really into hunting and he wants to hang elk heads uh, in the living room. Like you should generally be uh, up for that. Um, you should be. You should lean into that. You should be. Um, a wife is promising to be oriented to her husband, yeah. and that means oriented to his gifts, oriented to his calling, oriented to his interests and his preferences. Um, 
And um, now, um, it, you know, that doesn't mean that a woman's personality is utterly obliterated. It doesn't mean that she has no input or preferences. But at the same time, with regard to the marriage, that is the shape of a Christian marriage, a covenantal marriage. And so that middle section is just the uh, Christian freedom. If, if he wants to uh, pursue, um, you know, some job in Des Moines, Iowa, if he wants to pursue a job in, um, in, in this other place and move you away, um, you are promising at that altar to follow him. Now, you may have input. You may say, I don't think this is a great idea, honey. Uh, we don't know anybody in Des Moines. And there's no, you know, there, there might be any number of things that she says that it, he should listen to. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, having listened and so forth, he he is the one that's responsible before God to do what he believes is best. And a, and a Christian woman is promising to follow him unless or until, and this leads to the third category, which would be um, where um, a, a husband is disobeying Jesus. And so um, when you, s- you submit in the Lord and you say, so you have Christ stand behind your husband and it's stuff in the Bible, well, Jesus is nodding vigorously and you obey and you follow. If it's, if it's stuff that is under Christian freedom, Christ says you're free. Um, you might have an opinion, but Christ is standing behind your husband and he's nodding because he, you picked that man mm-hmm. and that man is free in Christ to do what he thinks is best. And you have agreed to follow him. And Christ says, yeah, you, you promised to follow him. And I think there's some, there's some comfort in that too, for a Christian woman who says, you know, just again, I'll use the silly example of, you know, moving to Des Moines. Um, sorry to all my Des Moines listeners. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry guys. Yeah. May, maybe she has a really bad feeling about it. Maybe she has any number of good reasons why this just isn't a great idea. But it's it's not blatant sin. It's not blatant disobedience to Christ. She can still submit because she sees Christ behind her husband. Yeah. Because she knows my Lord Jesus gave me this man, and I can trust Christ, even if I don't think this is the best decision ever. And 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 that's again so long as it's not blatant disobedience to to God. Um, then you just trust and you think, even if in two years your husband looks over at you and says, man, moving to Des Moines was a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> Sorry, uh, Des Moines listeners. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think even in that situation, the, the Christian wife should not say, ha, I told you so. Yeah. Um, the Christian wife should say, you know, um, I was glad to follow you because you're my husband. And... And I'm also thankful that you've arrived at a similar conclusion than I had. Right. Um, and, 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 but, but the thing is, is knowing that Christ is with you, even when you take detours, uh, it turns, it turns out, um, there aren't really any detours with Christ. Um, in, in, in the providence of God, even those things where you think, well, this humanly speaking really was a bad choice to move here or take that job or do that thing. Um, when Christ is with you, he's redeeming all that. And, and, and you look back and you realize, oh, we, we, didn't, we, sh- we shouldn't have, humanly speaking, done that. But in his providence, this is what God was doing. Um, and, and you see the lessons that were learned there. Um, and then again, the, the last um, area would just be, you know, if your husband says, um, let's look at porn together, um, you, you say, you know, no, we're not. Um, and, and that is submission to Christ. Because Christ is standing behind your husband saying, no, 
No, you may not. No sex, sexual immorality. Or if your husband says, um, let's rob a bank, um, you know, you, you, you say, no, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. And I think we're going to have a meeting with the pastor, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is Christian submission uh, when a husband is blatantly, deliberately, um, persistently disobeying Christ and asking you to disobey with him. Um, there's a, that's a place where a, a strong, godly Christian woman um, stands up to her husband, um, but does so in submission to Christ. And so it is still in a, in a spirit of submission. I'm so glad that you brought that element in. Um, I, 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 that was definitely a place that I wanted to get to because that, that in the Lord part is the most important part. That is the security for both parties. That's the security for the man that his authority is righteous if he follows Christ and he knows how to lead. That's the security for the woman that she also knows that her husband is leading in the Lord. And that is the orienting principle that binds them both together. And I was just on a Twitter space this morning. Where we were talking about this very subject. And I think the, the secular world con- conceives of marriage as like two sovereign individuals negotiating a contract, you right. know, and, and the, the power of the contract in some sense is what, hold them, is what holds them together. And no, that's, that's not it at all. There's something far more powerful. Christ binding us together that tells us our roles and tells us how to be. And that's the safety and security for both. And that makes it very God-glorifying. Um, and, and so the authority is not just because I say, which right. I think is what a lot of women are worried about is that the man's like, ha ha. like, well, guys, don't, don't rush so quickly into this. Like recognize where your authority comes from and who right. you are in submission to. Right. That's the difference between thinking of marriage as a mere contract and marriage as a covenant. Yes. Um, so they're the kind of the libertarian view is that it's just a contract. And then, and then, you know, like any other business contract, if, if both parties determine this is no longer working out, I mean, if, if you and I are just doing business together and we have a contract and then at some point we say, you know, never mind, we can rip up the contract and move on. Mm -hmm. No harm, no foul, but a covenant cannot be broken without a massive damage happening. Mm -hmm. Um, this is why the Bible describes, um, the two becoming one flesh, um, and, and, and that's why in Malachi, when it is the famous verse that says that God hates divorce, it, it actually says God hates divorce because it covers uh, the people in violence. Mm. Um, so when you have the two becoming one flesh, there's no way for those two to be ripped apart without it being violent. And that's, that's, and it really is violent. And, and, um, and I know, and, in, and, in, providentially sometimes you have the kind of sin that does rip people apart you have adultery um you can have um you know massively you know physically abusive scenarios where there's there's violence done to the covenant and so there you are already ripped apart and then you sort of acknowledge that fact um uh, with the divorce formally but um but that's that's the difference between a contract and a covenant um, it's also, I think one of the other things to keep in mind too is, uh, um, and this, this goes to your point about, um, the protections of, of the covenant, um, is not only is that God is there, um, watching over it, watching over both parties of the covenant, holding both parties accountable. Um, it, it's also one of the other features of a covenant is that there are particular blessings and curses, uh, attached to it. And, um, and, um, I was, I was actually just, uh, my, my son is actually engaged, which oh. is just um, 
feels Praise crazy. <laughs> um, but I was just talking to him at lunch uh, right before this, actually. And, and we, were, we, were, we were talking about um, uh, this uh, very topic. And I was trying to think of analogies to use with him. And uh, the one I came up with is sort of, um, you know, the difference between a regular one speed bike and a 10 speed bike. And when you when you just when you have a one speed bike, you can pedal with that a certain amount of energy and you go, you know, that much that farther. And I would say most contracts, most agreements, human agreements are just like that. You put the certain amount of time in and you get this kind of results out. In a covenant relationship, though, you have God, him, his presence there, and he's promising basically to multiply it. He's going to multiply it by his grace. And so this is how a husband then can, can say, all right, we've got to work on some things. And this is not the best, you know, our, our, our relationship is not as smooth, it's not as sweet, it's not as, uh, we're not pulling in the same direction. But as a husband takes responsibility and says, okay, God, you've made me the head of my household, the head of my wife, we've got to work on these things. And he starts pushing in a healthy, obedient direction, biblically speaking, God blesses that. And, and he multiplies and it's like you go into, you know, you click, 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 and now you're in gear 10. And in some ways it's a little harder because it turns out you're pulling for two people or you're pulling for five people or however many kids you got. Um, and, but, but the glory is that by the grace of God, when you're looking to Christ and you're looking to the promises of God, he's multiplying your efforts. And, um, and that's, and that's part of the glory of covenant. And I think by the same token, um, Sin, unconfessed sin and disobedience can do even that much more harm. It, it, that gets multiplied too. But again, when you confess your sin and you get clean and you repent and you say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with God and I'm going to lead my, my family in the ways of God, um, God blesses and the potency particularly of a man leading his wife, leading his family uh, in grace, uh, it's just it's just glorious. And, it, and you can do far more than it looks like you can, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you, you do the same pedal action. It's a little harder, but with that, you know, with that 10 speed click, you know, um, engaged, you go far, far farther, um, than, than you would have just, it's not just you. It's not just you on your own. If you're married, uh, and you're in covenant with your wife, um, God promises to bless in really powerful ways. At the risk of stretching the metaphor too far, is it fair to say that like maybe a covenant marriage is like a bike, one of those one of those dual pedaling kind of bikes where the man is he's steering in the front and but the wife is back there pedaling as well? Is is that stretching it too far, or is or is it? No, you're you're both. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's obviously there. I mean, you are one, and so you you're you are your wife is your helper, your wife is your helpmate, and 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 she is assisting you, and so there is assistance there. The thing that I guess I like to emphasize, and and maybe this is where the metaphor breaks down, but right. it's just it's just also sometimes um, sometimes men we want to treat our wives like another man, right. um, and I and it and it, and that is really not helpful, um, and and so and so we will quickly say, well, um, we'd be making a lot more progress if she was doing her job, if she would be more helpful, if she would pull her own weight. And I would say, no, 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 it's, it, you're getting it all wrong. She is supposed to certainly be a, a, a faithful Christian woman before God. And in that way, she will assist you. 
but as the head of your home and the head of your wife, um, you're, you have a particular potency. Um, it's, it's not, um, you're obviously you are equal before God. You're equal in Christ. You're equal as image bearers, but there's another way in which, but you're the leader and, and, and the way you lead really does have a massive impact on the whole project. And, and, and again, part of that's a weight and a burden and it's harder, but the, but the flip side of it is that means though, when you push that pedal down and you're engaged in that 10th gear, you go farther than you would have. It's not an ordinary, you know, teammate situation. <laughs> you know, you know, you and I could work at something, Will, and, and as men, you know, we would expect one another to pull your own weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just, it's the same kind of thing. In marriage, it's not like that. In marriage, we it's it's a dance and it's a different kind of dance. And we have to take responsibility for our wives and for the state of our marriage in a way that's different than a lot of our other relationships. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So the motive power, you'd say, needs to come from the man. So that, that is where the the it kind of breaks down. So so let's talk about the term help meet then. Um, because how does that fit in? There's I was flipping through the book earlier trying to find the specific the specific passage that I'd highlighted, you know, that, that um, you're being conformed to, to a specific man. I wish I could find, I wish I could find it here. Um, uh, maybe I'll flip through it in a moment, but you know, the idea that you, she is coming on board his mission, he yeah. is not getting aboard her mission. And it right. may not even be like a co-mission, I guess, in a sense, but I'll let you like, she is coming on board his mission. And I, I tweeted that like, be prepared for your plans to be interrupted. Right. And that, and that seems like an unpopular idea, but I I mean, go ahead and and talk about it for a second, just because that's the, that's the power of it. She's coming on board his mission and what a beautiful thing that is. Right. Absolutely. So again, I mean, if, if Christ in the church is the, is the, is the primary model, I mean, the, the church is not, um, you know, Christ's teammate. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it's awesome. You know, I mean, we're, we, we are, we are, we are being called to join his mission. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what the, the church is called to do. We, we have, um, you know, I, I sometimes say, um, part of this is maybe a little bit of a detour from what you're, what you're asking. I'll, I'll come back to your point, but, um, it, I, I tell husbands, you need to loving your wife. And this is just straight out of Ephesians five and on, based on this exact same principle that our, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Um, that means loving your wife well means doing what she needs, which is not necessarily the same thing that she wants. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and you think about this. And so think about Christ as the model for this. I mean, if Christ has shown up as he did in the gospels and said, what do you all think I should do? <laughs> wow. Nobody, nobody would have said, I know you should die on a cross and three days later rise from the dead in order to really conquer Satan and death and free us from our sins. Nobody. <laughs> That's a great idea. Let's do it. No. And, yeah. and, and in fact, when Jesus starts bringing it up, I'm going <laughs> to suffer and die. Everybody's telling him, shut up, shut up, stop. Right. Don't, don't talk like that. And, um, and so, but what Christ did was he actually loved us, which means he did what we needed not what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, but that's the model. 
uh, Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, it's, it's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial provision and protection. Um, but it is, and, and, you know, and I think, um, in the day-to-day practical, um, uh, things, um, many of the ways that you need to love your wife and take care of her and so forth are going to be things that she really does appreciate. I'm not, I'm not saying sure. that your love, your love for her is going to be constantly things that she, you know, doesn't like or doesn't want. But, but I am saying that the principle though, is, is that you really are, um, you're responsible to see what she needs and see where she needs to be taught, where she needs to be led, where she needs to be encouraged, where she needs to be, um, even corrected. Um, but I think some of that though is, is maybe I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of the question you're asking about joining a man's mission, but I think it fits. Yes. Um, because again, even there it's, 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 um, there's an asymmetry. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the wife is not called to love her husband and see what his needs are and, um, and, and, you know, address them in the same way. It's not like the, it's not like the Bible teaches that, um, husbands and wives, a husband and a wife just both love each other. And then you sort of meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the wife certainly has a ministry to her husband, but the, but the word that the Bible uses over and over again is that that ministry is supposed to be f- framed in terms of respect, um, and honor mm-hmm. and submission and obedience. I mean, th- those are the words uh, that the Bible uses over and over again, whereas the the Bible uses a specific word for husbands, which is love mm-hmm. um, and lead and, uh, you know, be the head of. Um, but all of that um, uh, um, implies, um, back to your original question, I think what is a, a set up in the Garden of Eden, which is the, which is the you know, prototype for all marriage. But there you have a man who has been created who has been given a mission by God um, to dress and keep the garden uh, a- as an initial job, which is then to lead to um, taking dominion of the whole earth. But beginning in a garden, he's supposed to tend and guard this garden. And then as he fulfills that function, work his way out into the world, taking dominion, ruling over the creatures, filling the earth, um, it's in that context that God reveals to Adam that he does not have a helper like all the other animals do. Uh, he, he, the animals are brought to him. He names the animals. Uh, I think that naming is not just, uh, you know, your Fred and your Joe and your uh, Cindy. Uh, I think that naming is something far, um, far closer to a, a, a taxonomy. Um, he, he's, um, he's naming in a sort of proto-scientific way what these animals are and what they're for, um, and, and learning about them. And in that process, I think he also realizes that God has made a mate, uh, for most other creatures and none of these mates, um, match me. And so it's in that context that God creates the woman, um, taking the rib from the man's side. And that woman is brought to the man and she, um, she is, she's being brought to him in order that he can fulfill that, that mandate, that mission, uh, to garden and keep this garden well, and then to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. 
Um, so um, she joins him in that mission. And I would say, um, again, that same shape is preserved in the way that he is to lead her and love her, um, seeing what she needs. And then she is to respond to that love um, by uh, respecting him, honoring him, and returning what he gives her um, with a profit, um, with glory. Um, and so, yeah, that, that creates a very uh, significant shape, which means, you know, a man, when you ask a girl out, um, you are um, interrupting that woman's life, not only in that moment, if she wasn't expecting you to ask her out, um, but then, um, but yes, that's part of the, that's part of the, uh, the shape of these things. And, and, and a woman is then who, who uh, agrees to marry a man is, is, is agreeing to have her life interrupted um, by the particular shape of this man's mission. Of course, overarching is it, it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's to uh, fulfill the dominion mandate. It's to uh, be faithful Christians. Um, but yes, there is a particular shape of mission given to each particular man and you don't always necessarily know exactly what that, that is when you get married. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes that shifts. Sometimes you, and I got married my wife when we were very young. I was still in college. We were, I didn't know exactly what I would be doing with my life. Um, but she was agreeing to follow me. She was agreeing to uh, support me um, and encourage me in whatever that mission uh, became. Um, and, um, and, 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 you know, I think there's also a, there's ways in which who you marry is still going to also shape that mission. Um, yeah. it, it, it's, we're not saying, you know, no matter what um, sort of thing. I mean, I, if I marry a woman and um, five years into our marriage, um, her health is such that um, I cannot keep traveling for my job the way I, I was, I was planning to travel. Well, I, my first my first responsibility is to my wife and to provide for her and care for her. And so sometimes God reorients your mission through the needs of your wife. You, you realize, oh, um, in order to love this woman well, she needs me here more or to love her well, I, I need I need a different job. I, I need to make more money or I need, you know, I, I, in order to care for her, um, your mission can sometimes be um, uh, slightly adjusted. But the but the overarching shape is that yes she's she's joining your mission, and bringing her gifts and her support and yeah and if and if you're not into his mission you you shouldn't marry him even if he is handsome or rich. Agree, agree. Um, okay, so I I was talking. So first of all, I grew up secular atheist, even though I grew up in a Jewish household, household, I lived in San Francisco. And so I've seen a lot of egalitarian marriages, a lot of inverted marriages as well. And, and so reading, uh, listening to your biblical marriage series, reading No Mere Mortals, I'm also reading Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes that has a wonderful chapter on marriage. And I'm, I'm reading these, these um, descriptions of, of what a, a godly marriage looks like. And it's, it's moving my heart in a very particular way. It's like, oh, this is this is what's always been in there that I've been looking for that isn't around very much. And as I've spoken to some of the people in my life who aren't believers, and I explained to them what it is that you just said, that, she, that, that the woman is getting, the wife is getting her life interrupted and coming on board a man's mission and he's leading the family. The response that I've gotten like, oh, well, it sounds like she just has to give up her whole life for him. I'm like, oh, she's just, it sounds like she's giving up her life to do whatever you say. And of course, I know that's not true. And I was a little bit taken aback, like, okay, it's not that at all. But how would you respond to something like that? 
Well, number one, I would say Christ calls all of us to lay down our lives to follow him. Right? Amen. Amen. And so so there's a certain sense in which you say, no, actually, all of us are giving up our lives. Mm -hmm. All of us are giving up um, our our lives to follow Christ. Um, Now, I think it's fair to say, yes, in in the marriage relationship, in the marriage covenant in particular, yes, uh, the wife is being called to give up um, a certain kind of independence. Um, but, um, but I, I guess the, um, uh, the model though, is as the church submits to Christ and, and so that's why I'd say, go back to, so when we lay our lives down, we send our, surrender our lives to Christ, Christ says that if you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. Amen. And, and that's, you know, and I think, you know, you probably, you will, you could probably, uh, um, you know explain to your listeners and audience, um, having, having, um, walked through a conversion, mm-hmm. uh, a experience, you could probably explain in pretty, uh, gory detail, um, you know, the, the surrendering of, of your old self and then, <laughs> and, 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 um, and, and feeling like you're dying you're feeling yeah. like some, something is dying. And, and then, um, also the experience though, of finding, yourself. Yeah. And I think that's part of what you're even describing now is you're, th- is you're describing, you know, this is what marriage is. This is what family is. It, it's finding you say, yeah, they're like, I didn't know that was what I was for, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I found what I'm for. I found what I found who I really am. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think by the same token, um, if a, if a wife, if a godly woman, um, finds a good man, a godly man, and and says i i want to follow that man I, I i want to support that man i want to help that man and and she does so then she freely submits to that one man and and surrenders a, a, a lot of what she yeah might have had on her own mm-hmm. um uh, but she does so in christ as the church does to christ well as the church does to christ means the church surrenders to christ um and then in Christ, what happens? The church is glorified and, and the church is made spotless without wrinkle and full of splendor. And the, you know, and the picture in Revelation is of uh, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, like a bride adorned for her husband, this glorious city full of jewels and precious metals and all these people. And, and so it's like, you know, when we surrender in Christ, um, it's um, everything that has to go, goes, and but but nothing good is ever lost in Christ. Nothing good is ever lost in Christ. Um, and I think that's the same message, though, to a Christian woman who says, "If I submit to this godly man, he's a godly man. He loves Jesus. I know, but I I'm just afraid of losing, you know, whatever. I I love." hang gliding or <laughs> I, I love, you know, there, I have these hobbies or these interests or these friendships or whatever. What, what I would tell that, that, that Christian woman is, um, Christ will not lose any good thing. And, and when it, when, he, when you lay it down at his feet, like he's, he's the one that gives you all the good things. <laughs> like, where, where'd you get that interest from? Where'd you get that skill? Well, um, it's from Christ. And so if, if you lay it down at his feet and say, I believe you're calling me to submit to this man, 
And for the time being, that means I'm not going to be doing some of those other things as far as I can tell. Um, maybe some of those things Christ just says, you know, that was a fun spell, but you know, that was better. <laughs> I'm going to make you a mom. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you a homemaker. I'm going to make you a person who feeds and the hungry and clothes the naked and welcomes the stranger. And, and you're going to have this glorious home, uh, where, you know, you picture my kingdom. And, and I think for many women, uh, they realize, uh, this is way better. This is just way better. And then, and then I would say also though, sometimes in the midst of building that home for that good man, uh, and, 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 and raising those children and practicing hospitality and mercy and, and kindness, um, in surprising ways, you suddenly find like, maybe, maybe those old skills come back and mm -hmm. maybe those, those hobbies or those things that you did that you were afraid to lose, actually, they come back to help. And, and, you know, you, um, and so, um, I, I mean, I teach we, here, um, my own daughters and, um, and, and the, and the young ladies and, and, and the families in our church, I, I teach them all the time. We, we want our women to be as highly educated as they possibly can be. Um, we want them to be as highly skilled and as highly trained as they can possibly be. Now, I utter, utterly reject the lies of feminism. I utterly reject the lies of feminism, which are that uh, basically um, the best that a woman can be is a second-rate man. <laughs> and and yeah. a, a women trying to find themselves by competing with men. Yeah. Um, I just I just think that's um, uh, just an utter uh, lie and a dead end, and we're we're living in the in the fruit of that. But I I don't believe that that means then that a woman should not be well educated. I I I want my daughters to be as well educated as they possibly can be. I want them to be as well trained as they possibly can be. I I don't want them going to these factories that churn out you know um, uh, butch feminists. Right. Um, but, but I do want them to be highly, highly educated. Uh, that includes skills in business. That could include skills um, in architecture. That could is, include skills in music. That could include um, skills in, um, in law. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which I, godly women can use their ta talents and skills and energy uh, to learn about this world and how to help a good man take dominion uh, of, of the world. And, and usually... Um, if you have those skills, a good man is going to say, I want you to help me do what I do. Y you've got things I need. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's the whole point of having a helper again. It's like what, um, if, if you just wanted someone who was just like you, like, it's really dumb to get married. Um, you know, like it, it's just like, that's just don't, you just doubled your budget and, and now you just have a replica of you. Um, but but if you if you're thinking in terms of like no I, I want to I do want to help her, then you're looking for someone who has particular skills and interests and abilities, and that good man is not going to bring you on, uh, you know, on the mission on his mission, um, in order for you to you know to, to pretend like you know no I, I all I want you to do is you know I don't know sew socks all day long or you know I mean I mean <laughs> right. I mean and and you know and socks are really important. Indeed, can't <laughs> confirm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, thank you for all that. The, 
the listeners who just listen to the audio can't see it, but I was getting quite emotional as you were saying some of those things. It just really speaks, speaking very powerfully um, to my heart in many ways. Um, and, and the question that I have to follow that is, um, talk about the man's side of this, like, like this self-sacrificial responsibility. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and what a good man and a godly man looking for this kind of marriage, what he should be seeking, what he should be feeling, what and who he should be preparing to be so we can speak to his experience as well. Yeah. So again, the, the, the model again is, is he's going to, um, you're going to have to imitate Christ, but that is also sacrificial. You're, you're laying your life down. And, um, and I would say, um, that, that, um, sacrifice, um, is um number one i would say is leadership and that means um is really trying to chart a course where where um uh, where do you need to um serve christ where do you need to use your gifts and talents and abilities and uh, leaders go first and leaders have to um you know you um the, the sacrifices you take um uh, and make are going to be ones often of uh, trial and error you're going to try something out and you're going to fail uh, you're going to work really hard at something and it's not going to work out like you thought. And this, and, and, but you're going to, you have to get back up and get back to work. Um, that's often the sacrifice a man does. A man goes and works hard and he's risking a lot in, in, in his time, energy, money. Um, uh, and, and, and frequently, um, you pour out a lot and you don't sometimes see the, you don't see the return right away. Yeah. Um, and, but you're doing it, um, in obedience to Christ for the good of the world and to provide for your wife and your family. Um, and, um, part of that sacrifice is also doing that while facing the dangers and risks and threats out in the world. And then you're going to come home every evening, um, uh, and not always be appreciated. <laughs> Uh, the, the way you might wish you would be, yeah. And you're going to come home to more work. Um, I, I tell I tell men frequently, you know, um, depending on how long of a commute you have to work, um, you know that 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 commute home should be a time spent in prayer, um, getting ready to get to work. Um, and right. and you you say, but I just. I just worked eight hours. I just worked 10 hours. I just, you know, I was up at the crack of dawn. I have, you know, whatever it is, and you know, whether you work with your mind at a computer or whether you work with your body and you're, you know, you are hurting, um, you know, your job is not done. Uh, you come home and now you have a, a, a wife to love at the very least, um, to, to, to minister to, to listen to, to talk to, uh, to be a friend of, um, and then if God is blessing kids, um, and if she's been helping those kids for most of the day, she is tired and she wants you to take over. And, and so this is, you know, this is another area of sacrifice. You've been working hard. You've been doing what God is calling you to do, practicing leadership. And now you got to come home and you got to, this is your second shift. <laughs> and, and you, you, these are, and you've got to give yourself to this and you've got to, and that's why, I mean, I remember, especially when the kids were little, I mean, that's, I, I, I did it regularly and, and Moscow where I live is a tiny town, which means I have a terribly short commute, <laughs> which is, you know, like you've got five minutes from office to, to home. Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me joy. Lord, give me patience. Lord, 
uh, give me energy. And, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're walking in the door and you're grabbing a cup of coffee or a Coke or something so that you, you have a little more brain cells uh, to make it through the evening. But you, you are on. You are on. You cannot walk through that door and say, where's my beer and where's my couch? And, you know, where's my, where's my football game? Um, you know, um, and you know, sometimes you can have a beer and sometimes you can sit on a couch and sometimes you can watch a football game, but, <laughs> right. but those are, those are extraneous details that, that that's that those have to be at the side. The centerpiece has to be, um, I have a wife and a family that God has entrusted to me that I have to love well and serve well. That's part of the sacrifice, um, a, a double sacrifice. And then, and then I would say, um, you know, part, probably the other thing that I think of, and this kind of goes back to doing what is needed, which is not necessarily what everyone wants, mm-hmm. is uh, frequently um, the obedient sacrifice is going to be addressing problems. And, um, and uh, men don't like doing that. Yeah. Um, um, we, we, or at least we're very poor at it. We, we tend to, if we, if we address problems, um, we, we kind of go into, we, we can go into big boss mode and, um, you know, I'm the boss, I'm bigger, I'm louder. And, you know, just, it's angry, it's harsh. Um, but, but godly leadership has to recognize, okay, we are not doing this well as a married couple. We are not doing this well as a family. My kids are, they need addressing here. They're not talking respectfully to their mom. They're fighting, they're arguing, they're lying. And, and it would be a lot easier to do something else. (laughs) And, and, and what many men do is I say they, they frequently pick the wrong sacrifice. Um, men, men don't like to actually just flop. Usually we don't usually just like to act like weenies. Um, we, we frequently, um, we make an excuse for why we can't do the thing that we have, we should be doing. And we pick a different thing that makes us still feel a little manly. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes it's uh well, I've got to work on the car. You know, I got to work on the car, the, the car, I haven't changed the oil and it's, you know, three months, the oil changes due. And I, I'm all for you know, change your oil, but frequently men will spend three hours out in the garage tinkering with the car and maybe even, you know, really trying to fix something. Um, but it, it's frankly easier uh, to work on your car than it is to work on your marriage or to work on your family. Yeah. And, and because cars, as difficult as they are, don't talk back. Right. And, right. and, they're, and they're simpler. They're not human beings. That's right. And, and, they, and so, um, but you can go into a garage and work for three hours and get covered in oil and you'll have some great stories for your buddies. And you picked the wrong sacrifice or, um, or sometimes we do this with, you know, like hunting or fishing, like, you know, I got to get some food. I got to, you know, I'm bringing home food for the the family and all the rest of it. And again, I'm, I'm all for hunting and fishing. I think you should go hunting and fishing, but not at the expense of loving your wife. Well, uh, loving your kids well, or maybe you go to the gym and, you know, like you're really, you know, you're really working out and you're working hard and you're getting your, you know, your PR and all the rest of it. Um, and again, I'm all for, uh, being physically fit. Um, but not at the expense of your marriage and your kids. And frequently you can say, but I, you know, but it was really hard what I did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, what would be even harder, 
You know what would be even more manly? Do you know what would require even more sacrifice? It would be sitting down with your wife and gently bringing up that one topic that you know you need to talk about, that you know might be a bumpy topic to talk about. And, 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 that, and frequently that's where sacrifice happens too. Sacrifice happens for a man in bringing up challenges and things that need to be addressed, things that need to be corrected, because you know that when you bring that up, she might uh, bite you. Mm-hmm. She, she, she might have a harsh word for you. She might say, why are you judging me like this? She might have, you know, it, it, might, it might be challenging. Um, it needs to be done gently. It needs to be done with kindness. It needs to be done with understanding. It needs to be done with patience. Um, but frequently the way that you lay your life down for your wife is actually by addressing uh, problems. And that's what that's what it says. Um, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, um, that he might cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word, um, so that she might be spotless and without any wrinkle or any blemish or any such thing. Um, and so um, now, you know, you don't have to bring up something every night and you don't have to bring up everything right away when you notice it. But at the same time, I would say that's another place where um, you sacrificially provide for and love your wife um, is addressing uh, problems. So, and amen to all that. And I think that's actually a really great response to those who would say, well, it sounds like she has to give up everything. It's like, no, no, no. Like a husband who goes off to work, if he were to just come back and flop on the couch and leave it all, that would be maybe you could make that case. But if you come home and you treat it like your second shift that you now have a family to minister to, it's, it's actually doubling the work. Like a single man has a pretty, you know, relatively easy, comfortable life can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, you know, socks on the floor and all that has no one to care for and no one to care for him. But, um, but the act of being a husband and father is essentially sacrificial when approached this way. Um, so in response to the bringing up the hard topics, one of the things that I hear from, um, one of the things I hear from women is that they've never known men in their life, husbands, boyfriends, you know, whatever, to, who, um, who weren't abusive of their authority. Yeah. And so when, when you talk to them about, you know, this sort of godly submission, their immediate response is, you know, a capital N, no, period. And on the other side of that, you have men that have never actually had any authority. You know, young men today have been deprived the ability to have any meaningful authority and so you have the situation where one side is carrying uh, bitterness and resentment towards authority and the other is like, I have no idea what I'm doing, so right. I shouldn't do it at all. How do, you, how do you counsel people through that situation, which seems probably pretty common today? Right. Yeah, I think it's very common and, and probably becoming more common. Um, yeah. uh, number one, I, I guess I would go back to what we, what we touched on earlier, which is I would just say, you know, it is... Um, I, I totally understand it. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I, I, I've been I've been blessed myself. To I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I saw this modeled well. I've lived around a lot of other people that have modeled it well. Um, but I've been a pastor long enough. I've worked with some pretty gnarly situations um, where I, I know what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. um, but I would say this, nevertheless, um, I think um, the thing to recognize though is is that. Um, this is actually what we were made for. So it, it's this is actually as, as awkward and strange and as foreign as it can seem. It, it, it like this really is embedded in our natures. 
and and so we we've we've distorted it and we've twisted it and we've misused it and we've abused it and at the same time i would say the hope of a of a christian woman who who's who's gun shy and defensive and says i, I don't know i i've never had a man i could trust i would say no okay that may be true and and depending on who's around you you might it might be healthy for you to be a little defensive and protective but i would say in your heart you ought to be thinking to yourself but i was made by god to submit to a good man and if that right man came along it would be sweet it it would be like coming home and on the flip side, I would say the same thing to a, a man who says, I've never seen this modeled well. I've never had authority. I, I, I've botched it. And, you know, my dad was gone and, you know, my grandpa was angry or whatever it was. And the guy says, I, I just don't know what to do. I would just say the same thing to you. You know what? Despite all that, you were made by God to lead and love a woman well. And, and when you meet the right woman, um, who, who was, who was made for you. You're, when you find your Eve, um, it, it will be like coming home. It will, it will be like, I was made for this. Um, you, um, you were made for her and you were made to lead her and to love her really well. So I think that, that'd be number one, just bottom line. I would just say, um, this is actually natural. <laughs> um, this is, this is what we're made for, um, with, with the right man and the right woman. Um, but, but you're not, again, it's like, not like you're made to lead all women or you're made to submit to all men. Right. If you're thinking like that, then yeah, like that's going to be weird because that's not what you're made for, but you were made for one man, one woman, one, you know, that, um, uh, that, that's, that's God's ordinary, um, plan, um, you know, accepting some who are called to singleness. Um, but, um, but the other thing I would say then is next to that, I would just say, so sort of accept it as natural, embrace it as natural and thank the Lord for it and then wait for him to bring the right person. And then, um, but then secondarily, if you found that person and you're, and you're, and you're married and you say, okay, but we don't know what we're doing and it just feels awkward or whatever, or we're about to be married. I would say, this is why it's so important to be part of a, a local, uh, church. Um, a, a mm -hmm. churches are not perfect. Nobody in that church is perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But you know what? By God's grace, there are communities of Christians um, that are um, headed in the right direction. Um, again, not perfect, not sinless. But I'm telling you, as someone who is, I grew up in the church. I'm 43 years old. Um, I have, I've, I've seen the gamut. I've seen the gnarly stuff. But what I can tell you is that there are communities all around this country, all over the world, um, for that matter, where there are sincere Christians who are seeking to apply God's word to their lives and, and, and God is blessing it. And, and you can, and you, you can meet people in these Christian homes and these, in these Christian churches where there are marriages and you can see a man talk to his wife. And I, and I guarantee you, you can look at it and you can say, Oh, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, I I'd like that. And you can see the way that a woman responds to her husband and you can, and you can say, oh, wow, that's beautiful. I want that. And, and you can see it with parents and their children. And you can see, look at how those kids love their dad. Look at how those kids love their mom. Look how they sit around the dinner table and they just laugh and they 
talk and they, and they're, they're in fellowship. I want that. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you don't have that in your church, I would say, get out, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, find a church where, um, this is in, in, in Hebrews 13 actually says, um, that we're supposed to obey those who teach us the word, uh, elders in the church. And it says specifically that we ought to have elders, leaders in our church that, um, where we can watch the outcome of their faith and imitate them. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the gift of, of godly leaders in the church. And I know that there have been churches where the leadership has been absolutely corrupted. I know there are, are churches where uh, pastors and elders have misused their authority, but I go back again and say, no, but there are faithful churches. Uh, if you pray and ask the Lord and you do some Google searching, um, you know, find, find a godly church that they, where they are committed to obeying the Bible. Um, and, and part of the mark of that biblical church will be leaders who you say, I want a marriage like their marriage. I want to lead my home like that man leads his home. I want children like his children. I want grandchildren like his grandchildren. Um, that's what you ought to be looking for. And, and I, and I can guarantee you that even though the church is in a relatively weak state in, in the West, there are still many, many godly biblical communities in local Christian churches. And I would say, go find yourself a church, go find yourself a church where you can be discipled, where you can follow by example, um, godly men and women. Amen. Amen to that. I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I just have one more question if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I wanted to take all this and I wanted to plug it into your recent sermon about uh, the, the second reform sermon where you talked about how much the Puritans how much they celebrated life about some oh, of the yeah. accusations that were leveled at them in the beginning and now how we see them now and, and the joyfulness. I was, I was genuinely inspired by that. So if you could speak a little bit about that and how marriage feeds into all that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the, um, yeah, the great slanders against the Puritans and Calvinists in general, um, yeah. for at least the last, I don't know, hundred, 150 years, maybe I, I was thinking of the Scarlet letter by, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, which many of us read in high school. Mm -hmm. And it's this, you know, just dour, dire uh, story of this, you know, this Puritan pastor who's committed adultery and, and, uh, and the woman gets blamed and, you know, and the man is just, you know, racked with guilt and shame and all this. And it's just like, it's just a really, I don't know, terrible book. <laughs> But, but, it, but it's a, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that has become kind of a caricature of, of what Puritanism and Calvinism is. And, uh, but in, but in reality, um, that's not, I mean, I'm sure there've been some bad apples and, you know, really sorry about it, but, um, but, um, Lewis, C.S. Lewis is actually one of the folks that has done a really great job of, of, um, beginning to rehabilitate the reputation of, of, of Puritans. And, um, in a few mm. different um, places as he's writing about it, he was a, you know, he was a, um, uh, uh, a student of literature, but, but a, a sort of a historian of literature. So he was always interested in, in sort of um, the time periods in which different pieces of literature were coming out. And he, he has one big book in, uh, on 16th century literature uh, in, in England. Uh, that would be one place where you could read about this in his introduction. But he says, um, he's studying, I mean, the, many of the writers of that period were Puritans. And, um, and these would be the heirs of John Calvin, who was in Geneva. Um, they were now in England. Um, and seeking to build a reformed culture in England. And, um, and he, he points out though, he says, you know, far from the, 
these dour, sad, um, you know, um, caricatures that you get later, uh, you know, um, the mm -hmm. actual accusations that were brought against them by their um, contemporaries, the people that lived around them, was not that at all. But it was rather that they were far too exuberant. Uh, they were far too happy. Um, they were far too free. Um, they were into really like bright colors, like literally just like in terms of like their dress and what they painted their houses with it was like bright colors um, and, and really exuberant about the marriage bed. Um, and, and if you, you can kind of, you say, what, where's this coming from? Well, in the Roman Catholic church in the high middle ages, um, they had put a really um, uh, unbiblical emphasis on celibacy and not getting married. That's why you have all these people, you know, joining monasteries and convents because they were taught that sex was basically dirty. Um, sex was really only for, you know, people who just couldn't control themselves. And, and that was clearly not, um, you know, very holy. And, um, and then of course, on top of that, they have all these, um, these, uh, these holy days in their calendar and these holy days were fasting days. And on these fasting days, you couldn't have any wine or beer or sausage or meat. And that's why you have, you know, you still have this sort of tradition of fish Fridays, you know, sort of this, you know, um, fasting day. Um, and the reformers came along and actually read their Bibles and they were like, Hey, <laughs> like God invented sex. Like, like this is his idea. And there's, you know, Adam and Eve, and there's no shame in the garden. And even though the, the only shame came from sin, not from sex and marriage is a place where that's supposed to be celebrated. And, and, um, and, you know, and on top of that, of course, God often gives the blessing of children and children are a great blessing and family is a great blessing. And hey, there aren't any rules in here about not eating meat on Fridays. What are you talking about? Um, and so the, the Calvinists and the Puritans were known in the first few generations as being people who, and, and all of this really, really grounded in the free grace of God, um, that, that God of his own free grace forgives rotten, filthy sinners just for his own glory. He just forgives them and they're free. And, and they, oh, it's, 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 it's all, it's, you can't, you can't give anything for it. Um, it's, it's not by works. It's not by being good enough. It's all free grace. And, and, and that kind of relief and just deep astonishment at the, at the gift of God in Christ. And then you sort of, you, you sort of come up for air having been set free and made alive. And then God says, here, try this. It's steak. You know, here, here, try this. It's, it's dark German beer. Here, um, here, I, I made you a woman who's well-suited for you. Go enjoy her. Um, go feast um, in, in, a, in, in the marriage bed um, and, and make lots of, little people that look like you. And, um, and, but that's, um, that's, that really is the true legacy of the reformed faith. The, the true legacy yeah. of the Puritans and the Calvinists is one of, um, deep freedom, astonishment, joy, um, because God is so good. And, and not only has he given us his son, but in Romans eight, it says, um, well, he, who, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him give us all things? 
and and so the just the the idea that if God has given us His only Son, then that means everything is ours, and it's a gift, and it, and it's just it's just it's all it's all sugar you know it's all whipped cream on top it's all cherries on top you know it's it's Jesus and then everything else, and then of course all all of these other gifts are just um, previews of of life with our father um at whose right hand the psalmist says are pleasures forevermore um and so um calvinists should be the happiest people in the world um the 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 most joyful people in the world the most celebratory in the world because um our our father is so good I wish respectful silence came across better on a podcast, um, but thank you, thank you for that moving picture. It's like watching a sunrise in real time with with how the faith and how the life of a Christian husband and father and household is supposed to be. So thank you for for blessing uh, blessing me and the listeners with Absolutely. that. Absolutely, Th- thank you so much for for the the time. Well, it's been always great to talk to you, man. Fantastic. Where would you like to send people to find out more about you and what you do? Um, uh, you can, uh, I, I blog at tobyjsumter.com, um, post some notes there and articles from time to time. I'm uh, a, a host at CrossPolitik. Uh, CrossPolitik.com is a, a Christian uh, political show and podcast, bringing the word of God to the public square. Um, I'm a pastor at King's Cross um, Church here in Moscow. Um, Kingscrossmoscow.com is our website. And um we're closely affiliated with Christ Church here in Moscow, and um, you can find um, my sermons, uh, I think maybe cross-listed both places, but Christ Church mm-hmm. uh, or King's Cross Church on YouTube, also at uh, Canon uh, Press, Canon Plus is the name of their app. Excellent. Thank you so much, Pastor Toby. God Absolutely. Bless you, God bless you. Will. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.